Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Gelly, um, and I'm part of the preaching team here, and I'm really, really privileged to be part of the series that we're looking at over the summer of Elisha, looking at his life, looking at some of the things that he did, and reading some really good stories. I really like stories. Now, having called it a story, I'm really aware I'm going to probably switch between the word accounts and story a few times because I think there is a risk when we talk about kind of uh, accounts in the Bible as stories that we begin to put them into like the Cinderella part of our head and actually this isn't in the Cinderella part of your head this is something that did actually happen it's from a history book in the Bible called the book of Kings or two Kings there's a book that denotes history of what happened to God's people and Elisha is part of that history and there's history inside the Bible and outside of the Bible that refers to him Um, and I'm going to be covering the second part of our series as Beck said earlier, if you weren't here last week, I can't recommend highly enough that you listen to Chris's sermon. Chris kind of really kicked the series off brilliantly, for one, and secondly, what he did was just give quite a lot of the background and the content that I'll unpick highlights of today, but he did it in a much fuller version, so it really would be worth you listening to that. Something else he encouraged you to do that I'm going to steal and encourage you to do as well is actually over the summer, why not just have a look at reading these books, the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 1 Kings has got a lot about Elijah in it, who we'll talk about in a second. 2 Kings has got a bit more about Elisha. Actually, they're really, really inspiring books and there are some really great accounts or stories within them. So today, I was really, really looking for a punchy title for this preach. Actually, yesterday, um, in my distress, me and Kwame spent quite a long time trying to think of a punchy title, and the best I could come up with was Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Um, (laughs) I realise it's not perhaps the most, you know, inspiring title. If you can think of a better one by the end, please do let me know, um, and you might get like a a 10p mix-up or something. What I want to do now is I'm actually going to read the um, story or the account. If you've got Bibles, feel free to turn to the bit. If you've got um, an iPhone or an iPad or any of this clever technology, feel free to turn to the Bible app on that. Please don't turn to any other apps because that would be a bit off-putting for those around you and probably yourself as well. Um, It's quite a long one, but it's a good one, and it's going to appear on the screen anyway if I can magically make this work. I always... Oh! That is like the first time in my whole life that I've ever managed to click the button and it works, which is probably not to do with this machine. I think it's more to do my clicking ability. Anyway, a miracle indeed. The Lord is with us this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. If you needed confirmation, that was it. Okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start reading the story. I say it's a, it's a long one, but it's a good one, so stick with me. So one day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem, uh, well-named, A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. Very sensible. She obviously was a good cook. She said to her husband, I'm sure that this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. So let's build a room for him. Oh, sorry, let's build a small room. Generous, not that generous, for him on the roof. And furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. Then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his upper room to rest. He said to his servant, Gehazi, 
Tell the woman from Shunem that I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, we appreciate the kind concern that you've shown for us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you with the king or the commander of the army? Hmm, she thought about it, weighed it up. No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, but what can we do for her? And Gehazi replied, she doesn't have her son and her husband is an old man. So we can only presume she's relatively old as well. I guess that's not a given. Uh, so call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time the following year she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took, his home, took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and she shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so I can hurry to the man of God and then I'll come right back. Why go today, he asked. It's neither New Moon Festival nor the Sabbath. But she said, it'll be all right, or shalom is a word in Hebrew. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, with your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and she caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord hasn't told me what it is. Then she said, did I even ask you for a son? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel, take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly, lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, The child's still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and he shut the door behind him and he prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes and his hands on the child's hands. As he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. When she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude, and then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. So I told you it was a good one. It's a long one, but it's good, and it's worth persisting to the end. 
So um, what I didn't do, I realised, I celebrated the clicker working. Oh no, it clicked on by itself, that's magical. Thank you so much. I was just about to say, I got so carried away with the story that I forgot to click it on. But the magic assistants did it for me. Okay, what I want to do now, before we kind of just unpick some key features of this story, um, or things that God's relayed on my heart, I just want to pray that God would come and meet with us, um, and then we'll unpack some of the content. So Lord, I just thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus, I thank you that, that you are the God of Elisha, you're the God of Elijah and you're the God of us. Lord, you're the God of City Hope Church, you're the God of each of us individually. Lord, you are alive and well and you're a miracle working God. Lord, I thank you you've already reminded us of that today. Lord, and I pray, God, that as I just unpack some aspects of uh, of this uh, event, God, today, that you would really speak to us, Lord. We want to be challenged and we want to be changed, Lord, and we want to change this city that we live in. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come um, and just, yeah, just equip me to speak with real clarity, God. Yeah, Father, come. Amen. Amen. Okay. Da, da, da. So... In this story, there were two key characters. I realise that there were quite a lot of people, but there were two kind of key people that I really want us to focus on. One is the Shunammite woman. She's nameless, so we'll just call her the Shunammite woman for now on. Uh, you can make up a name in your head if you want. Um, what I was going to do, and I'm still a bit in two minds about, but is to get someone up to represent her. I think I might just do that. Why not? Sue, would you like to come and be the Shunammite woman? Just... Just this purely just visual, just so you can see. So here is the Shunammite woman. And, and when we look at just some of her key aspects and qualities, we know that she was faithful and she had a hunger for God. So she could recognise a person of God, a man of God, um, and, and she was hungry for that. She wanted the man of God in her house. There's a sense in which she, was, she had an appetite to know more of God and to know what he had for her. Um, we'll talk a bit later, but it feels like she's probably part of what God referred to as a remnant that he had in Israel. I'm going to describe what that means a bit later, but it seems like she was part of that. We know that she was wealthy, so the Bible tells us that. Of course, that's why I chose Sue. We, we know that she was generous, which Sue is generous. And actually, we also know that she received a miracle, and I did have the miracle with me in my bag. Look, I bought the miracle... There you go. She received a miracle from the Lord. Please be very careful with that miracle because that is our practice baby for home. Kwame does like to try and get nappies on it. So, so just be careful. Uh, but there you go. That's the miracle that she received from God. Yeah, that's it. There's no more secrets anymore, Kwame. Um, it's not really, there is a story behind that doll, but I won't tell it now. Um, but so she received a miracle, and she received that miracle actually against her expectation. I don't know if you would have, for those of you who maybe have read the Bible quite a bit, are familiar with other accounts, you might remember Abraham and Sarah. Actually, there's quite a lot of parallels here that we could unpack for hours, but I don't have time. But there are quite a lot of parallels. Actually, Sarah equally... Um, someone came and prophesied, angels came and prophesied, you'll be with baby, and she laughed at it because there's a sense in which it's really against 
her face. It didn't quite fit. And you can see that with the Shunammite woman as well. She's, she's actually struggling. She's wrestling with this concept that actually God could do this for her. But nonetheless, he did, which it shows how generous he is. Hey? His generosity outweighs her own. There's then a second character who I want us to focus on, who unsurprisingly, you might guess, is Elisha, um, given that he's the main feature of this series. So I'm going to get someone to represent Elisha. Paul, do you want to just come and represent Elisha? You just have to stand here. There, there, there's nothing else about that. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. That, is, that was purely accidental. Again, those of you who know more about Elisha, you'll know that he, he didn't take kindly to being referred as to as bald, but that was purely coincidental, bald. <laughs> purely coincidental. <laughs> Thank you, Vic, for pointing out. See, this is what I mean by audience participation. It's really good. It expands the points I had. I, I hadn't even thought of that. So Elisha was actually God's prophet to the ten tribes of Israel. So I said that I'd explain what I meant by that reference to a remnant earlier, which is a Shunammite woman is part of it. So actually, the story of Elisha, again, if you listen to Chris's sermon from last week, you'll get a bit more of the history, but I'm going to summarise it. Essentially, Elisha lived in a period that's actually quite a dark time in the history of God's people. So God's people had originally been 12 tribes of Israel. They'd actually separated by the point that Elijah and then later Elisha came along. So there's the two southern tribes, Benjamin and another one, I can't remember the name of, um, Judah, in, indeed, and they got referred to as Judah. See, I knew Judah was involved, I just hadn't clocked that it was a sub-tribe. So there's the people of Judah, are the southern kingdoms, and then there's the northern kingdoms, that's the remaining ten tribes, and they've separated into two nations. Um, and the northern tribes, particularly the ten tribes of Israel, actually just had a p- pretty bad run. So they had a succession of kings, hence the name of the books, um, and each of these kings, actually, you can read through, with odd exceptions, they're all pretty rubbish. They're not good, and actually they do not good things in Israel. They, they erect kind of high places and altars for pagan worship, they turn to idols, they turn away from God, they kill the prophets, um, so anyone who kind of stands against them and speaks of the true God, they tend to just want to uh, get rid of them. And in fact, when Elijah complained to God about this, God said to him, actually, don't worry, despite the darkness and the bleakness of the times, actually, I have saved for myself a remnant. I've saved for myself a small group of people from amongst this great nation who actually will remain faithful to me. And he referred to those as the remnant. There were 7,000 of them, so it's not many. Um, and we believe that Sue was part of that. Well done, Sue. Sue the Shunammites. Uh, so, so it's into that context that we see, first of all, Elijah coming, and then second of all, Elisha. So Elisha is the successor of the prophet Elijah, and they are raised up as God's prophets to the people, the main prophets, like the leaders of the house of prophets, in fact. Um, so they have a real anointing to be God's representative to the people in this dark time and they are both miracle workers so that's why kings is such a great read actually both the books because in amongst all this bleakness and this darkness and this list of kings where every single one they would say they did evil in the sight of the lord actually equally you've got these highs of incredible miracles and god breaking in in phenomenal ways so that's elisha now i don't know if you're like me But when I read um, accounts like this, what I tend to do is just naturally gravitate almost my association or my link or my um, 
I guess I tend to identify more, more closely with one character or the other in terms of thinking, well, who am I in this story? I don't know if you do that, but I do that in, in kind of novels and also in Bible stories. I tend to think, well, who do I, who do I identify with the most? Who feels most like me? And I don't know if I asked you that question today and you saw Elisha and the Shunammite woman, which of the two you would think, actually, yeah, that description, you know, you, you could pretty much, pretty much match me to that, or that feels like my more natural affinity. Certainly when I first read this story and started thinking about today, I was thinking that. I was thinking, actually, I, I feel like the Shunammite woman, I can, I can identify with her. I can, I can see parts of myself in her. I get that. And yet, somehow to identify with Elisha, it felt almost too big. I was a bit like, oh, no, that's, that's a bit scary. So, so I'm not like Elisha. I'm like the Shunammite woman. But actually, as I've prayed about it and prepared, I feel like God really wants to challenge us as a people, um, individually and as a church, to say, actually, we live in times in which God is raising up Elishas, and actually we need to identify with Elisha, because actually we also live in a dark time. We live in a time in which there are... Um, you know, there are some good people in authority. We don't want to just tear people down. But there's also a lot of bad things going on in influential places in our nation. And actually, we need to be raised up like Elisha's to stand and actually bring God's presence into that. God's called us to do that, not to be, um, not to undersell our calling. And that's not an arrogant thing, because actually Elisha was anointed. And so we too need to be anointed by the presence of God, but it's what he's called us to. And so actually this series, this summer, as we're looking at the, the kind of things that Elisha did and some of the accounts, what that must do in us is stir faith to say, God, in our day and in our time, would you make me a type of Elisha? In our day and our time, would you do that again? And we're looking at this series specifically before we then enter into 40 days of prayer because we know that actually God is raising our faith and God has spoken so much over the last weeks about raising our faith as a church to what he'd do in us and through us so I just want to just challenge you you can both sit down if you like actually that was it that was your role uh, but I just really want to challenge all of us really as we kind of are still really in the in the beginning stage of this series just say let's let's identify with Elisha let's see what it is that he had that God could do in us. Let's have faith that actually he is the same living God. And if that feels like a bit of a jump or a bit of a challenge, I want to just uh, encourage you that it's biblical. So in James chapter 5, verse 13, uh, we, it writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Well, let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And then, obviously, there's the end bit about what Elijah did. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of poetic license because we're talking about Elisha, but Elisha carried Elijah's anointing. And here's a reminder from Scripture to say they're just human beings. Actually, if that, if that call to be like an Elisha who, who commands and a woman gets pregnant and then uh, lies over her dead son, he comes back to life, if that feels too much, too high, well, actually, he was just a human being. 
Like he, he, wasn't, he wasn't actually anything different to what we are. He just knew a living God. That's, that's what makes a difference. And so actually we are called to be the same. We're called to carry that same thing. So, therefore, what I want to do now is just look at three kind of things that have caught my attention about Elisha um, in this account. Just three kind of key points of the way that he operates and the way that he acts, I think, can impact the way that we operate and act in the city in which we live, in the nation and times in which we've been called, actually, to be. So, those of you who've heard me preach before, you'll, you'll know, in fact, it'd be from quite a way back, I do actually genuinely quite like alliteration. And it's been sad for me. The last few preach I've done, I haven't had points to alliterate, and I found that quite difficult. But um, this week I do. Woohoo! So there are three aspects of Elisha's kind of behaviour and what he does that I think are particularly key for us. Um, and the first one is that he's persistent and he's proactive. So we're going to just unpack that in a minute. The second thing is that he was then pursued. So he was pursued by the woman. And then lastly, that he was very personal in the way that he acted and the things that he did. Um, so those are three aspects of Elisha's behaviour that I think are key for us. So first of all, he was persistent and he was proactive. And you can see that particularly at the beginning. And that looks really small to me, so I do apologise. I should have made it bigger. Uh, but it's fine, so I'm going to talk about it anyway. So you don't need it. Um, actually, when you look at the woman, that we, the Shunammite woman, actually, in lots and lots of ways, she wasn't actually seeking a miracle. So she was seeking God and she wanted God's presence. But actually, we know at the beginning of the passage... She's described as wealthy and she seems pretty content. In fact, Elisha offers to do something for her. And even though she can identify he's a man of God, she knows that. She's like, no, do you know what? I'm fine. I'm all right, actually. Um, and it really challenged me. Actually, those of you who were here last week, you'll know that Chris last week spoke about a woman in a very different situation. So a woman last week that Chris spoke about was a woman in, in desperate poverty, her husband had died. She had nothing in the house except for some oil. That was it. And she was about to lose her own sons into slavery. And she was desperate. And she came to Elisha in absolute desperation for a miracle. And she got a miracle. And this week, we're looking at a woman who actually was wealthy. She seemed all right. She was married to her husband. They obviously, the, the boy uh, went out with the dab of harvesters. There's that sense they're probably landowners they're doing all right. And she wasn't really looking for a miracle. And she got a miracle. And actually that shows the, the diversity of what God has called us to. We live in a city with massive contrast. Probably the, the greatest amount of contrast that we've ever known, but I think it's going to get bigger in truth. That actually we know in this city some of the greatest wealth that the world knows. Some of the world's richest people live here. And we also know desperate poverty in people in desperate situations. And actually, God has called us as Elishas in our generation to actually meet the needs of both, because both have needs. Actually, whether they know it or they don't know it, this woman did not, did not acknowledge that she had a need. She thought she was fine. But doing what, there was still a need, and there was still an, an opportunity for God to do a miracle and to break in. And when I think about some of my friends... In truth, I do know some friends in desperate situations. I know a lot of friends who, who, humanly speaking, physically speaking, they're not, actually. They look all right. If anything, they look better off 
than I do. And you think, actually, then what's my calling there? What do I do with them when actually just everything's fine? They're just all right. Well, do you know what? God calls us to be proactive in seeking the opportunity to bless them and do miracles in their lives as much as in the lives of those who are desperate. Actually, to both, God has called us. We are called to be a diverse church. We're called to be a church that represents the area in which we live. And the area in which we live includes Shunammite women and it includes poor widows who need oil. And so we're called to both. And so he is persistent and he doesn't actually let it go. If anything, my third P for this could have been pushy because he's slightly pushy, isn't he? So he's saying to her, is there anything I can do for you? And she says, no. I don't know if you've had that moment when you offer to pray for someone, you've plucked up a bit of courage, they say, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Man, to go for it a second time is really brave, isn't it? To say, oh, no, no, sorry, I don't think you heard me right. Do you want me to pray for anything? <laughs> it's a bit awkward, isn't it? But yet Elisha does it because he knows that he serves a God who's powerful. So he's a bit pushy and he's proactive and he won't take no for an answer. And so I want to look at just kind of what that means and how Elisha got there because I think there's something in it for us as a church. I think God's calling us to be proactive and a bit pushy actually in the way that we work out what it is to be Christians in this area. I don't think we should be passive. See, another P, this is amazing. Once I'm on a roll, they just all come. But we shouldn't be passive and wait for people to pursue us. Actually, the first step in this is Elisha being the one who takes the initiative and Elisha being pushy. And we have to do that in accordance to our faith. So I'm not suggesting that tomorrow you should go out and find a barren woman and say you're going to have a baby next year if you don't have faith for that. But actually, we need to be building to a place where we do. We need to actually be taking active steps. So how did Elisha get there? There are two things that I think are particularly key. Um, I think there's one thing around actually he had lived among and taken note from somebody who'd already done the stuff. So he'd learnt a bit. So we know that Elisha studied really under Elijah for many, many years. And those of you who are familiar with stories from Elijah's life, you might recognise, again, something of Elijah and what Elisha does here. See, there's a story in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17, verse 17 to 24, if you want to look it up when you go home, where actually Elijah performs a very, very similar miracle in which he raises a widow's son to life by lying on her. There's that sense in which Elisha's seen something and that's raised his faith. He's hung out with someone who's doing the stuff and that's influenced him and that's uh, influenced where, he, where he's at. And I just I want to um, just really encourage us as individuals to start spending time with people who are doing the stuff because there are people doing the stuff they might not be raising the dead yet not physically at least but there are people around us who are stepping into more of this and actually stepping into that proactive pushy almost seeking opportunities for God to intervene that, than we realize so um, as I was kind of preparing I thought a lot about Paul Whittlesey actually I just want to honor Paul as someone who is persistently looking for opportunities for God to intervene. He does that. And actually, it's really good for us to be around that, to be challenged by that, to read what he's doing. Um, last month, we had some people here from the King's Arms Church in Bedford, and they just really challenged us. They came for a day, we all encountered the Holy Spirit, and then we went out onto the streets, and we just listened to God and saw what he said for people and spoke to them. Now, I have to say, I found it excruciatingly difficult, but it was good for me. And actually, it's good for us to take those opportunities to just step out in accordance to your faith, in accordance to where you're at, 
but step out that God might grow your faith. I want to just read um, quickly a Facebook status update because we're um, multimedia nowadays, aren't we? So this is a status update from someone who actually goes to my mum's church um, and she really challenges me. And again, this is someone who's alive right now. In fact, this is almost hot for the press because she wrote this on Wednesday of this week and it just challenges me to think, God, you're alive today and you can do it today. So she had written a Facebook status earlier in the day saying, is anyone up for coming to Blue Water tonight and we'll just listen to God and see what he says. Um, and obviously a number of people did. So then she's written later in the evening, Jesus showed up at Blue Water tonight in some incredible ways. We saw a girl walk, walking with a crutch. We simply prayed as she went past. We then stopped opposite Snog, the ice cream bar, um, <laughs> And decided, we were just deciding which way to go. But as we set off again, we were all hit by a wall of presence. I felt as if someone had grabbed me just above my right knee and the others were all reeling. We spoke to a server at Snog, explaining that we'd felt the presence of God around the stall and had anyone got a right leg problem. She said, that's amazing. It turns out the person we'd seen earlier on the crutch works there and has got a problem with her right leg in exactly the place I felt being grabbed. Um, the server agreed to phone her, so I explained to her over the phone what happened, that Jesus loved her and wanted to heal her leg. She agreed to prayer, and then she went quite quiet as all the pain left. We would return later, so it doesn't end there. In the meantime, someone else, he's going to remain nameless, so I don't actually have permission to do this, so, um, so someone else smashed the fear barrier through a description of clothing and word of knowledge for back pain the guy she spoke to denied having pain until the other two people as we have told him to stop lying. So then <laughs> she prayed. So again, there's a pushiness about that, isn't it? It's a bit uncomfortable. But actually, she kept going, and actually, she, she was right. Um, we then returned to Snog. Um, it, it's always, it's just ironic, isn't it? Anyway, so the server had spoken to her friend on the phone after we'd left. She was very shocked and said that her leg was better. So we got chatting to the server and a friend, both on a journey of getting to know Jesus. We had the opportunity of prophesying over both of them. The friend at the stall confirmed a word of knowledge about stomach pain that she'd had for two weeks. After praying, she reported some relief. So we then encouraged a server to actually pray for her. She laid her hand on her stomach and commanded the pain to go, and it did, and they were both totally amazed. The love of God was so tangible throughout the whole time that we were with these guys. We were able to share with them about just how good God is and they'd seen that demonstrated. Yeah. See, that's not just an account from the Bible from a few thousand years ago. That was on Wednesday in Blue Water, just down the A2. Actually, God is alive and he's doing stuff and actually he calls us to be proactive. Actually, in seeking the lost, in stepping out. And we know that we can do that because we know that actually God's called us to it. Jesus says even greater things than he's done, we will do because of who he is. We know that Paul declared this, the gospel with the Spirit's power. And there's that sense in which actually we should be declaring God's kingdom with power and expecting power. So we need to be proactive. The other thing about um, Elijah, Elisha's persistence, just very quickly, because um, I'm conscious of time, but... He wasn't only persistent in seeking that miracle. He wasn't only persistent with that woman. I think persistence was a character trait. And the reason I think that is actually, if you look at the way that he actually got the anointing from Elijah, he was really persistent, actually. So um, he said to Elijah, I want your anointing. Elijah said, that's not easy. 
it's not. So he said, you have to be with me and you have to be with me at the moment that I get taken up and then I'll, you'll get my cloak. And, and he did and he was. He was actually persistent. And actually, it's all very well saying we need to be persistent in seeking miracles, but prior to that, we need to be persistent in seeking God's anointing and persistent in seeking his presence because actually that's where everything else flows out from. That's where your faith comes from. Your faith comes from having an anointing that comes from God that you're persistent in pursuing and then it comes from actually being persistent in pursuing the lost in accordance to your faith but step out and see it grow. So that's that. So then, so he's been persistent. He's persistently pursued her and then what happens in very small print is you see that actually she becomes then persistent in pursuing her, him. So he's gone first. He is the man of God as the anointed one, as the church, in that sense, as City Hope, has gone out and persistently pursued her. And actually in response, she pursues him. So her boy dies. And then I'm just going to read out the bits in blue because of time. But she says, uh, as soon as her boys died, she calls her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God as quick, quickly and then return. So as soon as it happens, as soon as she loses her boy, her first reaction now is, I will pursue this man. This man that actually earlier, she's like, no, no, I'm fine. Now all of a sudden she's in pursuit of him. She doesn't even tell her husband what's gone wrong because you, your assumption is that's going to take a bit too much time. So her husband doesn't even know the boy's dead at this point. She's like, I've got to go. Um, later on, she says to the servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you. Bear in mind, she's probably quite old, so she might go a bit slower than him. But she says, don't slow down for me. And then she's set off to the man of God. Then later, the man of God, Elisha, sends Gehazi, his servants, to try and speak to her. She kind of brushes him off. She says, everything's fine. But actually, as soon as she reaches the man of God... She took hold of his feet and she pleaded with him. Then again, Elisha sends off Gehazi. We're going to talk about this a bit later. So he sends Gehazi ahead to uh, see the boy. And she says, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. See, she's now understood that he's a man of God and she's understood that he is, he is able to perform miracles because he's got the presence of God. And so she pursues him. And I think sometimes as a, as a church, there's a risk that we're waiting for this to happen before we do the first part. But actually, as he proactively sought her, the response is that she came to him. And I do believe that as we, as a church, are proactively seeking opportunities to bless, to bring God's kingdom, to bring the miraculous into this dark city, that actually what, what comes out of that is people begin pursuing us. And there are stories across the church of where that's happened. And sometimes that might be something big, like a miracle, and I believe that it will be increasingly that size of thing. But actually sometimes it's things you might consider small. It might just be that you've told someone you're a Christian, and then times get hard, and they think, oh, I remember you, I remember what you said. It might just be that you're open about what God's done in your life. In accordance to your faith, but actually as you are proactive and step out, so I believe that people will come and pursue the church because people are hungry like she was hungry. People are hungry. My next P is the personal bit. And actually I think this thing with Gehazi is really important just to pull out a little bit. So Gehazi is like our third character, but I didn't want to complicate things by bringing him in earlier. So Gehazi is Elisha's servant. He's like his understudy. Remember, Elisha had been Elijah's understudy. 
Here's Elisha's understudy, a guy called Gehazi. But Gehazi doesn't quite have the same character as Elisha. We'll probably, I don't want to preempt, but we'll probably hear a bit more about that next week, maybe. Um, maybe not, who knows. But Gehazi hasn't quite got the same character. He hasn't quite got the same thing. He certainly hasn't been persistent in pursuing God's anointing. So Elisha keeps giving him the opportunity throughout this whole story to be the one who interacts with the woman. And what you'll see is there's a little bit of hide-and-seek in it because the woman is quite consistently rebuffing him, basically, and she wants Elisha. So you see here, it's Gehazi who goes out and says, is everything okay? And she says, yeah, it's fine. Two seconds later, she's on her knees in tears. It's not fine, but actually she wants the man of God. She doesn't want a substitute. And I really believe that people can discern and they can tell the people who know the presence of God and those who don't. And so actually as a church, as people are coming and seeking God, actually they they know the difference between those who know the presence of God and those who don't. And people want the man of God, the woman of God, the people of God. They want those who've got the anointing of God's presence. And so it's a challenge to us to be those who will persistently pursue God's anointing before we go out and pursue people. Because actually people can tell, and she's she's not willing to have a substitute. She's not willing to have Gehazi. And people don't want a church who don't know God. They don't want that. They don't want a church who are just following a formula or doing exactly what they've been told by another human being. Actually, they they want the people of God, and they can tell. They can really tell. And we know they can tell because um, Moses, if I can just put it up, Moses reminds us, actually, in a similar cry. Let me just find my point. It is just... Here, there we go. So in Exodus 33, when Moses is praying to God, again, he's about to be sent out into some dark lands on the way to the promised land. The Lord said to him in Exodus 33, verse 14, he says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, so he said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, we want to be distinguished and marked out in the same way as Elisha was. We want people to be able to discern the difference between us and everybody else in this earth who's trying to make a difference. And actually, the way that happens is God's presence. It's God's presence. So church, we must be serious about pursuing God's presence. That's why we've got 40 days of prayer coming up because we know that we need the presence of God, that when people come seeking, when people come pursuing, when people realise that they're desperate, that actually they would find someone who knows the presence of God. Mm. And the other aspect of personal, just um, kind of drawing to a close really, is, is the miracle, well, the miracle part, there are two miracle parts, clearly, uh, but the bit where... Um, the boy is raised to life. See, Elisha reached the house. There's a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, he shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. He got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. He stretched himself out on him. The boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha again summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shemite, see? So he's desperately trying to give him a bit of the action. And he did. And when he, she came in, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and then took her son and went out. There's something very personal about the way that Elisha engaged with this situation. Actually, it was mouth to mouth, it was nose to nose, it was eyes to eyes. 
um, and that wouldn't have been easy. In fact, it probably would have been quite smelly. So I did a bit of research. To get from Shunem to Mount Carmel is 30 miles. That's quite a long way. Remember, this distance was covered twice. It was covered twice by an old lady um, who was on foot, so she'd given the, or on donkey. I don't know how long that takes, but I'd imagine quite a while. So there's a very good chance this boy's body was a bit smelly by this point. It probably wasn't that nice. She'd put him down in a hurry. She hadn't wrapped him and put spices and all the rest of it. It was a hot country, and she shoved him on a bed and ran. So that body was probably not very nice. And actually, as people come to us as the church and say we're desperate, actually, we need to be willing to personally get involved and touch a bit of hand-to-hand. And that is quite messy, and it is quite smelly. But actually, it's what God's called us to do as a church, to be personally involved with those around us who are struggling, to be personally involved with those around us who are desperate for miracles. Um, So really, the kind of closing challenge, I think, for us before I hand back to Vic, is to be those who will proactively seek the presence of God. Because we, like Elisha, we live in dark times. We live in times that that aren't easy. Sometimes it feels like there is just a remnant left in this nation, actually, who are pursuing God. But yet in that time, God raises people who will be persistent in seeking his anointings, that we can be pushy in actually bringing his blessing to those who know they need it and those who don't. Um, because actually then they will pursue us and they will find us out um, and we can personally have an impact in their lives. So think about kind of your life this week. What, what has God called you to? You know, Pascal gave us a really great reminder earlier that actually we're called to be active and loud in whatever way feels right for us, but that's what we're called to, to grow in that. Okay. Thank you very much. Good